the shipping industry is the most global industry that exists. So footing at international commercial shipping is like footing at the world. Hello, this is the Weekly Tradecast, a podcast brought to you by UNCLAD, the UN's trade and development body. I'm Sarah Toms. We're exploring how major events are shaping trade and development and how that affects billions of people around the world. This week, we're looking at the impact on shipping, supply chains and trade from insecurity in the Red Sea. About 80% of the world's goods move by sea, but escalating attacks by Houthi rebels on ships passing through the narrow waters towards the Suez Canal have disrupted shipping routes and raised geopolitical tensions. The United States, United Kingdom and other countries have responded with airstrikes against Houthi targets to protect the Red Sea shipping lanes that carry around 15% of global trade. Still, many ships have been diverted, Without the Red Sea shortcut, longer routes between Asia and Europe add significant time and cost to shipments. That's fueling fears of more shocks to the economy, with inflation still high and supply chains still shaky after disruptions during the pandemic. Even if the Red Sea disruptions are relatively brief, other issues confront trade by sea, including clogged shipping lanes and the impact of climate change on the Panama Canal. Well, joining me now to explain all the implications is Jan Hoffman, head of UNCTAD's trade logistics branch. Jan is an economist who spent many years working for a shipping company in Germany, so he has hands-on experience of sailing the seas. Well, welcome back, Jan. Yeah, happy to be back. <laughs> Thanks. Now, firstly, on the Red Sea, could you explain a little bit more about why this tiny sliver of water is so important? Yeah, as, as you said, it's 80% of global trade volumes that go by ship. Considering that a lot of these things that are being moved by ship are then inputs into other products that are again being shipped, we have these we call it deep supply chains. Shipping is really, really the lifeblood of international trade and economic development. So, yes, it's about 15% roughly of global trade that goes through the Suez Canal. It's about 20% of containerized trade, which is the important part for manufactured goods for global supply chains. So, yeah, it's important. So, commercial shipping companies are now taking longer routes to avoid the Red Sea. And what impact does this have on trade and on consumers? Yeah, I, I'd say that it's it's threefold the impact. Uh, you already alluded to the longer distance. That's that's obvious. You can measure. You can see going around South Africa is bad news. Interestingly, on top of this additional distance, so anybody who wants to ship something needs more days. Each day of shipping is also becoming more expensive because you need more ships for that longer distance. So the Charter rates, the freight rates per day of chartering a ship have gone up too. That compounds the additional days. And thirdly, in order to make up for the detour, ships are going faster. And if you go faster, as you know from any mode of transport, you spend more fuel, even per kilometer. So we have higher CO2 emissions, which is really a a big global issue. Shipping aims at reducing emissions, but unfortunately over the last 10 years, emissions have actually gone up by 20%. And what we see now is making all the ambitions of reducing emissions even worse. If I can add to this on the impact, the shipping industry is the most 
global industry that exists. The ships are built in, say, Korea or China or Japan, then they are owned by Greeks or Germans or Danish, and then they're manned, crewed by Filipino Indian seafarers, um, insured in one other country, managed, fly the flag of Panama, Liberia, Marshall Island. So shooting at international commercial shipping is like shooting at the world. So it's an impact on everyone. Right. Containerized shipping is the most important, also because it has the highest value what's inside those boxes. At the same time, for the countries in the region, Eastern Africa, Indian Ocean, for Egypt, who, who is losing canal revenues. So for a lot of the countries in the regions, apart from the seafarers who are being shot at, this is much stronger, much worse of an impact than for consumers in Europe or, or Asia who trade slower through the canal. If you see one of these huge container ships, they look all like the same boxes, but inside the boxes, you can have medical supplies, you can have spare parts, you have consumer goods. So it's really everything except bulk, except grain, coal, iron or oil, but, but everything else goes into these boxes. And in container shipping, you also have it that there are many owners of the goods that have their cargo on the ship. If you have a bulk carrier, some ship that moves oil or iron or, or grain, normally all the cargo on that ship belongs to one single owner, one charterer. In container shipping, you can have literally thousands, many thousands of owners. So again, that's why both from the production side of the service, the shipping industry that is so globalized in producing the service, the whole world is affected, and from what's inside the boxes, again, the whole world is affected. So what impact is this having more specifically on developing countries, mm. especially after, you know, the disruptions from the pandemic and also the war in Ukraine? You mentioned the war in Ukraine. I would also like to mention the Panama Canal. Largely due to climate change, there is not quite enough fresh water at this moment available in, in Panama. So the capacity of the Panama Canal is also reduced. Mm. And although the, the Red Sea crisis and Suez Canal has been more in the news because of the decline in transits by, depends how you measure, 40, 50 percent over the last two months, Panama has had a very similar reduction in transits over the last two years, also 40 to 50 percent reduction. And this combined with the war in Ukraine, which also leads to more distances because Oil that used to go from Russian Federation to Europe is now going to India and China. Grain that African countries used to import from Ukraine, some of this they now have to import from the Americas. So distances are going up. And that is something we've just updated our latest data sets and charts. For the last 40, 50 years that we have data, we can say the typical distance traveled for seaborne trade for a typical ton of cargo has never been as high as today. And some people talk about near-foring. Actually, we see the opposite. <laughs> we see distances of seaborne trade going up due to this combination of these three crises, in a way, uh, together with other global trends of who is sourcing from whom, what type of trade. The geography of trade has, has many explanations, but these limits these choke points that have less capacity today, they do lead to higher distances, which then lead 
to higher costs, also per day of shipping and more emissions. So, yeah, and as we've seen in recent years, we need to make supply chains obviously more mm. resilient. Mm. What are the quicker solutions and the longer term steps to make that happen? Mm. Yeah, quick and easy, nothing really is quick <laughs> and easy there. But we have already for quite some time, also in other contexts, in this context of competition issues, for example, of resilience of supply chains even before these choke points had reduction in transits. We have to diversify. Every trader, every production company, every importer wants to depend on different shipping routes, to some extent even different shipping modes, although for most of the goods that are transported by sea, by, by ships, there is no practical alternative. You can have some urgent, quick things go by air instead of ship, but it's not really an alternative for the huge volumes of containers trade of liquid and dry bulk. And of course, apart from the different routes and modes and shipping modes, you also don't want to depend only on one supplier of goods. No, we had this already during the COVID pandemic that people realized, oh, for this or that, medical supply or vaccines or masks. Uh, I depended on too few suppliers. So depending on diversifying your sources, especially during globalized production processes, I also believe that these canals, Panama Canal, Suez Canal, they are public goods to some extent. Of course, they go through national territory and it is a commercial decision of the Panama Canal Authority, Suez Authority, to see what prices they charge. But I believe an argument can be made that they do provide public goods that also deserves public support to keep the canals open, to invest, to invest in the engineering, to invest in the forecast, to make sure that climate change does not reduce the capacity. Panama Canal had invested already in an expansion of its capacity to receive bigger ships. Suez Canal also had invested not so long ago to allow for the passage of two ships mm. passages. So that had increased their capacity, which is all very good news for global trade, for global development. And right now we can only hope that these hiccups, these reduction in capacity and these very, very important choke points. We hope that it won't last too long. Now, thank you for breaking that down. That was UNCTAD's Jan Hoffman, who was this week's guest. Tune into the Weekly Tradecast next week and every week for more insights on the most pressing issues around the world of trade and development. And there's even more on our website, unctad.org. I'm Sarah Toms in Geneva. Goodbye for now.